There's just something about getting into a plane with friends and flying to an airport restaurant for the $100 hamburger. It's a delightful way to enjoy flying, whether you're passengers or pilots or not. But put three big guys in a 172 on a very hot day, and you've got to pay close attention to the POH takeoff performance numbers. But if the temperature line in the handbook doesn't go as high as the actual temperature outside, you'd be off the scale. We'll talk about it on this episode of I Laughed. I learned about flying from that. Hi everyone, I'm Rob Ryder, and welcome to episode 32 of Flying Magazine's I Learned About Flying From That Podcast. It's brought to you by the Avemco Aviation Insurance Company. My guest today flew two of his friends to an airport one day to enjoy the $100 hamburger, or in this case, the $200 steak. But after the meal was over and it was time to fly home, the outside air temperature was higher than the 172's max temperature on the takeoff performance table. Bruce Falstein will tell us how he dealt with his takeoff from a 2,800-foot runway right after this message from our sponsor, Avemco. The folks at Avemco Insurance are passionate about pilot safety. That's why they sponsor the FAA's Fast Team Wings program. Published dozens of articles on safety techniques and human factors by noted CFIs, and even support I learned about flying from that. Visit avemco.com slash flying or talk to them at 800-338-8705. Tell them you're an I learned about flying from that listener and they'll even save you an additional 5% off your premium. Now, I learned about flying from that. Looking at a pilot's operating handbook for performance data is very, very important, and that played a role in our guest's I Laughed incident. And Bruce Falstein out in California, welcome to I Laughed. Hi, Rob. Great to be here. Before we get to your story about the hot day by the highway at the Harris Ranch Airport, I would like to find out a little bit about you. You tell me you're not a professional pilot, but you did get your private, your instrument rating, and a commercial license. Is flying something that was always part of your life as a kid, or did you start flying later? Oh, much later. Yeah, you know what it was. I, I was having my midlife crisis shortly before I, I was staring down 50, my 50th birthday. And I said, well, it's about time after a lifetime of giving to everybody else, the kids and, you know, the family, what am I going to do for myself? And so I said, I've always wanted to learn to fly. So I think I was probably 49 at the time and, and uh, got my private and then uh, it really enjoyed the learning process. So I just kind of kept going, got my instrument and then my, uh, my commercial. Have you turned it into anything that has ever made you any money? Have you bought an airplane? Tell me about that. Well, as a matter of fact, I used to live uh, up in Sonoma County, California, wine country. And, oh, yeah. Um, for a short time, um, I uh, got involved with a, a flight school who we then got um, uh, a certificate to fly uh, local air tours for um, people to, you know, go over the, um, the vineyards and the coast. And um, it was under Part 91, so we were limited to 25 miles from the airport. But because of the way Sonoma County is uh, arranged, 
there's plenty to see within 25 miles. So um, yeah, I did get to fly several of those flights uh, as a commercial pilot and I got paid for it. Uh, but my interest was always just how can I get somebody else to pay for my flight time? So um, <laughs> that's, that's how it worked out. Did you end up buying a plane? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, um, it was, I was doing those in my own uh, – well, I had a partner. There were two of us in the airplane. It was a Cessna 172 SP and a fantastic airplane. Really loved it. Um, and then uh, kind of a, a – not, not to put a cloud over this uh, conversation, but in uh, 2017 um, in one of the famous fires, uh, wildfires oh, – we lost our house up there, and so um, I'm so sorry. Yeah, so the air the airplane was fine, but it just uh, I knew I'd be moving, and there were a lot of things going on. So aircraft ownership at that time didn't make as much sense. So we sold the airplane, um, and uh, but I only went about two years without a without an aircraft, and then um, relocated to beautiful Santa Barbara, and got involved in a partnership with four other fellas, two of whom uh, at the time were. Um, uh, major airline uh, airline pilots for major carriers. One of them has since retired, and it's a great group of fellas. And we now fly a, um, a PA thirty two, a Cherokee six three hundred, and it's a fantastic aircraft. And um, I will say that there was a this is the silver lining from uh, from having your house burned down is um, is moving to Santa Barbara and getting involved in a great airplane partnership. That's a tough thing to do to get four like-minded people who have the same desire to care for the airplane to uh, not worry about somebody else wanting to keep it out for a week at a time and, and maintain your friendship through all of that. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. I feel so fortunate. It's a great bunch of guys. And, you know, one of them uh, is also a flight instructor. So uh, he is happy to give free flight instructions. So I get to continue to keep uh, learning and um, and then and flying with a great bunch of guys. So it's, it's is a he terrific... a double eye? Does he have I, his it, instrument? It, yes, indeed. <laughs> certainly. So helps you stay current, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, uh, we were just working on a um, uh, my IPC just recently. So uh um, yeah, it's fantastic, and he doesn't charge me anything except the occasional beer. That's the way to do it. Congratulations on all that. Well, yep. let's back up now to 2017, to a time when you had a hot day flying out of someplace in, in an airplane that was probably not that Cherokee 6. But tell us about what happened, and tell us how the POH factored into the decisions you made that led you into this kind of predicament at the end of a runway with, uh, with things in the way and not much runway left. You know, I relive that experience all the time. And um, the lessons I learned that day, I still apply every time I go flying. Um, so it was a, a hot day. We were leaving uh, Santa Rosa, California, heading to a place called Harris Ranch, which is really just a wide spot in the road off of um, Interstate 5. And uh, they have an airstrip there, um, nicely maintained. And at Harris Ranch, it's uh, as its name implies, it's a cattle ranch. And they produce lots of uh, beef. Uh, and um, they have a couple of restaurants there. And anyway, we were flying down there. Uh, on a, it was a, at, at the time we were arriving there, it was 108 degrees. Well, it turns out that the um, pilot's operating handbook for the Cessna 172 SP 
only uh, goes up to about 104 degrees, 40 degrees uh, Celsius. So my thinking was, okay, for so many other things in the performance charts, you can just extrapolate the information. I thought, well, if, it's, if, um, if, if the numbers are X going up to 104, going up to uh, 100 and, uh, 108 would be X point something. So um, turns out I was wrong. Um, as uh, in, a, in a pilot operating handbook, anything over what's published there is, is an unknown. It's basically you're a test pilot at that point. And I was taking off on a 20, what is it, 2800 foot runway, uh, fully loaded, um, below max when you gross. Say, when you say fully loaded, you mean four individuals in the airplane and a bunch well, of gas? three very well-fed people who had just left this, uh, um, you know, st steak restaurant. and um, the, the $200 hamburger steak flight is what this was. It, indeed it was. And, um, and so we were taking off. There were three adults in the airplane, and um, I had calculated the, the fuel to be just what we needed. I knew it would be hard getting out of there on a hot day, so I had calculated our fuel burn to have just enough to get back to Santa Rosa with our um, our, my personal minimum is a one hour uh, reserve. Um, I guess the VFR minimum was 30 minutes, uh, uh, but I, I like to double that. And um, so anyways, we took off and we're rolling down the runway and I'm noticing that uh, we're taking up a lot of runway to get off the ground. And um, just, uh, we're just airborne as the pavement disappears beneath us. And so I'm pitching up, and suddenly I hear a stall warning um, and see the little light uh, come on. And um, I'm thinking, wow, I don't normally see a stall warning at this pitch attitude. And, um, and I guess that extra uh, heat in the air, they really degraded the engine performance. So I had to lower the nose, and that's fine. So the stall warning turned off. Uh, but now I'm confronting a highway overpass about uh, a thousand feet in front of me with a large semi-truck crossing it. And I'm thinking, okay, 50-foot obstacle. Well, this is at least a 50-foot obstacle. And um, uh, anyways, we did clear the truck and we didn't hit it. But it was um, a moment of, let's just say it caught my attention. Um, to avoid that uh, that large semi truck and with a very slow um, slow climb, and um, let me ask you this: When you calculated that out, did you decide to make uh, make your takeoff a short field takeoff with flaps and stuff, or did you just treat it like a normal takeoff to get up to your up to your rotation speed and then get up to VX? Kind of a combination. Um, I did, you know, keep the brakes locked and, and, you know, ran it up and made sure I was getting the full RPMs, but I wasn't using flaps, as I recall. So, um, you know, once I saw that we had sufficient RPMs, I released the brakes and started the roll. And um, uh, I guess the, the POH said we need 3,000 feet to clear a 60, uh, a 50 foot obstacle. And I think the runway length is 2820. So, um, but the obstacle, mind you, was a good thousand feet past the end of the runway. So I thought I had this made. And I did, as it turns out. But, um, but I wasn't calculating that uh, or counting on that, um, that the extra, um, uh, the extra, the extra four degrees 
from yeah, 104 exactly. to 108. Right. Have you, you ever it. been able to find out from Cessna or anybody else whether that four degrees was something that could be tracked in a linear fashion or was it was the four degrees then going exponentially higher in terms of the n- amount of runway that would have been needed? I, I never asked Cessna, but I have asked a couple of CFIs that I know, and um, both said basically it's uh, it's uncharted territory. Once you go past what's in the POH, uh, you are a test pilot at that point. So uh, I'm sure Cessna has data. They don't publish it in the POH, but anyways, there you have it. I, uh, I've learned that um, you cannot extrapolate beyond what's published in the POH. It's, it doesn't work that way. Have you ever, Bruce, had any other situations where you had to go to the POH for calculations or performance data, be it temperature and, and RPM and, and fuel burn and things like that, where you haven't been able to trust it? Or have you always been able to look at the POH, say, this is my 172 SP, this is what it says for temperature, this is what it says for takeoff roll, this is what it says for landing distance, uh, could be weather factors. Has it always been spot on for you? Well, you know, as a rule, I add 50% at least to the numbers in the POH. So um, whatever it says, I'm not hoping that I'm going to make it down to the foot or, you know, uh, whether that's altitude or distance. Um, I am pretty conservative when I fly. And so uh, it, it doesn't really matter what the, um, the, the upper limit is because I'm adding 50% to that at least. So if it says uh, 3,000 feet you need, I, I go for 4,500. So, you know, just that's my personal rule. Um, so it's never been a problem before. And again, this wasn't life-threatening. Um, it just was something that was concerning when I, uh, when I saw that truck in front of me. I bet. I, what do you think the trucker felt? <laughs> I'm not sure he saw. He was kind of angled away, so uh, he may not have, may not have known. But uh, um, anyway... Uh, it, it was a lesson. It was a valuable lesson. Do you generally put three big, big guys in the airplane at one time and go flying with it? Or do you keep it to two and a 172 if you're big guys? Well, you know, you, I, I like to take people flying. So um, if, there, if I can find two people who want to go flying with me, they're welcome to come aboard. Uh, you know, but I will say that, you know, 90% of the time I'm either alone or just have one other person in the plane. Um, but it is fun to go with a group and, uh, you know, the more the merrier. The Cherokee 6, unlike a 172, has the reputation of being the kind of airplane that, that some folks say if you can shove it inside the thing, you can fly with it. Right. Uh, ha- have, you, have you experienced that in the Cherokee 6? Yeah, you know, as we say, if it fits, it flies. Um, so, uh, I mean, you know, you do your weight and balance anyway, but, um, but yeah, that's such a capable aircraft. It's such a, it's, it's a fantastic airplane. And, um, yeah, I once was, uh, actually, um, I had, after moving from Sonoma County down to Santa Barbara, I had left a bunch of stuff in storage up there. And, um, and so I took the plane up there and loaded it up with the stuff that I had left behind and brought it back down. And, um, uh, that, that was I don't even think we were near Max Gross, and the plane was stuffed. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a hauler. And quite a performer, too. You get some pretty good speed out of it. 
You do. Um, you know, it's it it doesn't tear up the skies. It's it's um, but it's as fast as I need to go. Um, you know, th that particular plane is um, uh, it's it uses miles per hour instead of knots, and so you know we typically cruise at you know one forty five, one fifty, which is not terribly okay. fast, but um, but it could go faster. I just try to you know try to keep um, somewhat conservative in my fuel burn and, and wear and tear. Do you go back to flying Cessna 172s at all? Um, you know, I haven't uh, since then. Um, I, 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 I miss it, though. It's a, I, there's such a fun airplane to fly and so easy, particularly compared to the complex, uh, you know, Cherokee. Um, but I love that Cherokee 6, so um, I don't see any reason to go back and, and fly the 172 for now. But we'll see. Who knows what the future holds. 2017, that's when you were flying that. You, we, when you talk about what the future holds, is there another airplane, or are you just going to stay with your partners in this one and, and, fly, and fly until you don't want to fly anymore? That's, that's the plan. I, I can't imagine a better partnership or a better aircraft. Um, you know, there are faster and sexier airplanes out there. Um, you know, flying a, a PA-32 is, you know, people call it the SUV of the, uh, of the skies. Um, but that's fine. I, I, don't, I don't need a Porsche. I'm happy with my SUV. So we're good. Um, I, I don't foresee a, a change. Good combination of uh, capability, useful load, and uh, decent speed. Tell you what, let's take a short break, and then we'll circle back around to your incident and discuss the lessons you learned when you were out of runway and staring at an overpass in a semi-tractor trailer. We'll be right back. You bet. Ask your flight school or FBO if their insurance covers you when you rent their plane. The answer is almost certainly no. Even if they do, you'll probably still be on the hook for a big deductible. For as low as $95 a year, an Avemco Insurance Company renter's policy will protect you with no deductible ever. Visit avemco.com flying or call 800-338-8705 and you'll be covered the next time you fly. Now, back to I Laughed. We're back with Bruce Falstein, who had a very, very, well, precarious takeoff at Harris Ranch after a, after a great steak lunch or dinner with a couple of buddies. And I know that you had to have learned some lessons. You've already kind of talked about them, Bruce. But focus, if you will, on what were the lessons that you learned about flying from that flight? Well, Okay, as as I think we talked about the um, the going by what's published in the POH is absolutely important. But if it's not published there, you cannot extrapolate those numbers. Um, if if it's hotter or um, some other uh, variable is is not contained within those numbers, you cannot just extrapolate and assume that it's going to be a linear uh, type of um, uh, calculation. So that that was number one. 
Um, the other aspect was um, in terms of expectations, that you don't always get what you expect. So I was expecting a certain pitch attitude on climb out uh, from Harris Ranch, and it was hotter, and so I, I needed to uh, gain altitude, so I was pitching up higher than usual, and I, I got a stall warning. So uh, again, you, you have to adjust your expectations for the current conditions. Um, another way that the uh, uh, expectations figured into this is um, because we were, I was trying to keep the weight of the aircraft low, um, I did not have uh, full fuel. Um, and so heading back to Santa Rosa from Harris Ranch, um, I had very precisely calculated the fuel that would be required. And I think I had 24 gallons on board, which uh, we would have burned, um, you know, two-thirds of that, and I would have had a, an hour uh, left in the tanks when we landed, uh, which was double the, the VFR uh, minimum at that, at, for that flight. And, um, but, of course, my expectations, again, uh, misled me because um, in order to do a direct flight back from Harris Ranch, you have to transition, do a Class Bravo transition through the San Francisco Class B airspace. And in dozens of flights through that area, I never failed to get the uh, Bravo transition um, until that day um, when they, I was waiting to hear those magic words cleared into the Class Bravo, and they handed me off to another controller who vectored me around, and that added, um, oh, I'd say about another 10 or 12 minutes to the flight, and um, suddenly my very precise fuel calculations were out the window. So um, we landed within the VFR minimum. We still had about seven gallons when we landed, which was more than the 30 minutes required, but below my personal minimums. And um, again, I don't like to go below personal minimums. Um, and, uh, and, and I did that day. Uh, so that's, that was the second lesson I learned, which is um, just because you always got the Bravo transition or whatever other clearance you're looking for, doesn't mean you will next time. And, um, and so you need to, to plan for that. Were the other guys who were aboard the airplane with you pilots too, or were they just uh, along for the, for the stake? Just along for the stake, yeah. They had no clue what was going on. So, and I and I tried not to let them on, uh, you know, let them in on any issues. So even when the stall warning went off, um, I don't think they were aware that there was a problem. Um, and uh, and again, when both low fuel lights came on, by that time Santa Rosa was in sight, and I knew we had it made. But I've never before that day had an experience where two low fuel lights came on. Um, one for each tank. And so, uh, yeah, that was, um, but I didn't let them know that. So, um, uh, but we, we, we landed without incident, normal landing, but um, it did leave a uh, lasting lesson for me uh, in the future. My recollection is that Santa Rosa is a controlled airport. Is that true or is it uncontrolled? No, it is. It's a, it's a class Delta. It's got a control tower. Yep. So they didn't, if you could have said, I'm going to need a straight in or something, uh, something else so you wouldn't have to go into the pattern and burn further fuel if, if, you, if that had been an issue. If it had, but um, I, it, it wasn't. And so I and didn't have to do that. And um, um, I knew we had it made by that time. But again, you see those two low fuel warning lights and it does get your, uh, it gets your attention. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Let me ask you this. Would you do it again? Of course. Uh, On a 108-degree day? 
yeah, well, maybe I'd leave one of the guys at home. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, and uh, maybe I'd uh, have the salad instead of the uh, ribeye. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Weight. I'm not sure that eight or twelve ounces worth of ribeye <laughs> would cause that much of a performance degradation, even in a Cessna 172 with three guys. Well, you're probably right about that, but every little bit helps, right? I hear it must have been the extra bread or something, the butter and all that, Could potatoes. Be. Well, Bruce, that those are great lessons, and uh, because we we have talked about the POH and its importance, and not just skimming it, but actually reading it front to back and knowing about the airplane. And this is another example of how knowing the POH and knowing its limitations is important to us as well. Bruce Falstein, thank you so much for being on. I laughed. Oh, my pleasure, Rob. It was a great pleasure talking to you. Thanks. Thanks for joining Bruce and me on this episode. As always, there are good lessons to be learned from our guests, and I'm grateful for their participation. And I thank you for listening. I hope you'll subscribe, share, and if you've got a story that we might be able to use, shoot me an email with a synopsis and we'll check it out. Send it to rob at flying.media. Rob, R-O-B, at flying.media. I Laughed is available wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can follow Flying Magazine on Facebook or Instagram, where we'll post new episodes so everyone can hear the first-hand accounts of the flying lessons that sometimes only experience can teach. The editor-in-chief of Flying Magazine is Julie Boatman. Lisa DeFries is the executive producer of I Laughed. For Avemco Aviation Insurance and Flying Magazine, Fueling the passion for flight since 1927, I'm Rob Ryder. Catch you next time on I Learned About Flying From That.